This episode features dramatizations and discussions of body horror, self-harm, and harm against animals, as well as references to incest and sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single fairy godmother story. Today's episode combines elements from Charles Perrault's donkey skin tale and a number of other stories for dramatic effect. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. This week, we're meeting another famous fairy as we explore the relationship between our world and the unseen realm of the Fae. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we call on our fairy godmother, an iconic source of fairy tale wisdom and wonder. This magical maternal figure appears in our hero's darkest hour to help them find true love and solve their dilemmas. But what if there were a problem too terrible for a fairy to fix with a wave of her wand? Coming up, we meet a desperate princess and her reluctant fairy godmother. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Magic helpers are a ubiquitous trope in mythology, but the most loving, benevolent, and iconic version of this archetype is the fairy godmother. Godmothers assist the hero out of the goodness of their hearts and for nothing in exchange. The fairy might bless her charge at birth, like in some versions of Sleeping Beauty, or she may appear at a point of crisis, like when King Arthur's godmother gives him the sword Excalibur. Initially, these enchanted helpers were often ambiguous characters, simply described in tales as old men or women. That changed in the 17th century when French author Charles Perrault popularized the stories of Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. His love for pomp and grandiosity expanded the fairy godmother's powers. Perrault's tale is the one that had Cinderella's fairy godmother transform animals and turn a pumpkin into a coach, giving her a spark of inventive ingenuity. But it wasn't just her powers that became more spectacular, so did her appearance. Our image of the fairy godmother as a lovely, delicate, winged creature was greatly influenced by Victorian illustrations. In later years, Walt Disney drew from these images when he introduced Pinocchio's beautiful, glittery blue fairy in 1940 and the elderly, eccentric godmother in 1950's Cinderella. The Cinderella fairy's incantation of Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo has come to represent the warmth and whimsy we expect from a fairy godmother. Disney's influential take on this character solidified our image of her as a motherly figure who waves her wand and resolves all troubles with a shower of blue and gold sparkles. 
But not every problem can be solved with glitter. In Charles Perrault's 1695 story, Donkey Skin, a princess faces the threat of sexual abuse at the hands of her father. It's a problem that can't be solved by a warm hug and magic glass slippers. This crisis requires a fairy godmother with an edge. Somewhere on a rock on the coast of France was a crystalline palace made of lightning and sand. It was not the fairy Lenora's favorite grotto to squat in. A sea witch had kicked her out of her preferred spot to impress a Dutch mermaid. But this hollow would have to do, because Lenora was exhausted. She'd just settled into her bed of spider silk when she heard the piercing cries of a princess echo through the palace walls. Of course, just when she settled in for winter, someone needed her. Lenora rolled her eyes and buried her head under the sheets, wishing she could build a secluded tower of her own. She couldn't, though. It wasn't her season, so she was short on magic. In autumn, her skin was a crackling mix of fiery reds and deep browns, and her hair was the pale white of ocean foam. But as the earth turned, her visage faded, and so did her powers. Autumn was months away, and she barely had enough magic to keep her and her beloved spiders fed. If she wanted more, she'd have to take up a post as a godmother to some mortal. But Lenora hated mortals. She had no interest in fairy godmothering, even if it replenished her magic. She just wanted to be left alone. Still, the girl's wails snuck through the cracks in the floors and echoed on the pearly walls. The cries begged for someone to show her mercy and send her a prince. But Lenora had no mercy to give, and she couldn't stand princes. Then the voice begged for any sort of help, anything. It was that tiny hiccup of a plea that forced Lenora to sit up with a huff. No one else seemed to be answering, which meant the princess wouldn't stop whining until she intervened. Besides, the princess had said anything. Anything was better than nothing, and Lenora could be better than nothing. At least, she thought so. Lenora flapped her wings and flew toward an imposing castle. She landed on the balcony of the princess's chambers and fluttered inside. There, a round-faced, brown-haired girl greeted her shyly. She couldn't have been older than 14, with deep, sorrowful eyes. Lenora was unsettled. That ancient, bone-deep sadness shouldn't have come from a child. The princess sniffled, her eyes wide with wonder as she reached out to hug Lenora. Lenora flinched and blurted, "'Don't touch the wings!' The princess drew back as if she'd been burned. Lenora's gray face reddened as she stammered, I mean, I am the fairy Lenora. Need some help? The child spoke, her voice soft. Dear lady, my name is Celestine. I need a prince or I shall be married off to someone I don't wish to marry at all. I've delayed my father the king as long as I can, but I've run out of tricks. The girl looked into Lenora's eyes pleadingly. Please, kind Fay, you must help me find a prince to take me away from this place. 
Lenora's eyebrow rose, confused. So you'll take a stranger of my choosing, just not one of your family's? Celestine shook her head. He is no stranger. I know him quite well, and anyone else would be better. Lenora got the feeling there was more to this story, but she didn't really care that much, so she focused on familiarizing herself with her mission. Lenora scanned her surroundings, the gold inlays and lush fabrics, the portrait of an imperious, sour-faced king on the wall. She realized that she knew exactly which court she was in and which king the princess was speaking of. There was no mortal ruler more powerful than King Sever, and Lenora doubted some prince could defeat such a cruel man. Princes couldn't even tell the difference between a dead princess and one who was just in an enchanted sleep. Besides, the girl was a little young for a suitor. Lenora told her that a prince wouldn't solve her problems. Celestine's lip trembled, and she muttered that Lenora wasn't like any godmother she'd heard of. Lenora bristled. I never said I wouldn't help. I just won't bring a prince. They're terrible. And I'm not your fairy godmother, just a fairy looking to make a deal. Celestine nodded. Then, to Lenora's surprise, she got down to business. I understand. What would you like? Bread and milk? A promise of my firstborn? Oh, a lock of my hair. I brush it 100 times twice a day. It's very soft. Lenora snorted and told the girl that a baby was the last thing that she needed. Then her smile faded when she realized that regardless of what Celestine gave her, she didn't actually have a plan. Lenora tried to pretend like she wasn't making this all up as she went along. We can discuss payment later. For now, you may hide in my castle if you wish. Celestine lit up with joy. She reached out to try to hug her again, but Lenora dodged her and called out to her animal helpers. When a dozen blood-red spiders skittered in through the window, Celestine gasped. Lenora glared and asked if there was a problem. Celestine shook her head. It's just, I expected birds or rabbits or adorable mice. Lenora shrugged and said, more legs, more power. She then turned, ignoring the girl's rudeness, and gave a large, hairy spider its instructions for preparing the castle. Then she kissed the spider's fuzzy head and sent it off. Now all she had to do was figure out how to get Celestine out. If she were one of those silly, sugar-plum pink fairy godmothers, she could probably just vanish them in a cloud of golden sparkles. But Lenora hadn't committed to that arrangement, and she was low on magic. She needed to improvise. She glanced out the window to the courtyard. It was surrounded by high stone walls with a bridge leading out of it. There were guardhouses, stores for food, and stables. Lenora smirked and proclaimed, I will carry you out on a donkey. The confused princess pointed out that the guards would see them. Lenora didn't appreciate Celestine's sound logic or her lack of faith. So she fumbled, well, all right, I'll carry you out in a donkey. How's that? Celestine gave a nervous shrug. 
Lenora pulled out her crooked, splintered wand and flicked it to shrink the princess closer to Faye's eyes. Celestine's eyes lit up as Lenora scooped her up in her hand. Do I get to fly now? She asked in a tiny, squeaking voice. Lenora waved her wand and sighed. Yes, you get to fly. Lenora had just enough magic to glide them out into the wind and down into the stables. There, she reached for the nearest donkey and placed the tiny princess in its mouth. She fit perfectly. With a flick of her crooked wand, Lenora transformed herself into an elderly stable hand. Then she placed a halter around the donkey's head and quietly led it out into the courtyard. She tried to ignore the sparks that sputtered from her fingertips, a sign that her power was nearly spent. As if that weren't bad enough, she then heard shouts from Celestine's tower. The castle guards had discovered she was missing. Lenora walked slowly, hoping her unhurried affect would help her slip out of the castle grounds unnoticed. As she approached the bridge, the last bastion between her and freedom, she heard a familiar, terrifying creak. She looked to the castle's entrance and saw an iron gate descend. Lenora cursed her bad luck. Iron was one of her few weaknesses. Just touching the gate would make her skin sizzle and bleed. Lenora looked around, desperate. If she ran, she would give herself away, but she could only hide for so long in her weakened state. And if she stayed, she and Celestine might both face imprisonment. She couldn't help the princess with iron chains around her wrists. Lenora whispered a plea to the other Fay for help. But since she usually mocked them behind their backs, all right, and to their faces, she didn't expect any, even if she was trying to be benevolent for once. No help came. Instead, a guard called out to her to stop for an inspection. Lenora gritted her teeth and told Celestine to brace herself within the donkey's jaw. Then she ran for the gate. Lenora pushed her legs as fast as she could, but she was more of a flyer and she hadn't used them in a while. After stumbling, she picked up her pace, racing faster to the closing gate. She finally reached it and extended her arm through its opening. She thought she'd actually make it through, but the donkey was too slow and the gate was too fast. The iron door slammed down, shearing Lenora's hand from her wrist. She stifled a cry as her severed limb dissolved into burning autumn leaves. Lenora heard the guard's footsteps and felt an iron blade at her back. A feral growl left her throat. This is what happened when you fooled with mortals. This is what happened when you even pretended to care. Lenora swore that when she got out of this mess, she would punish everyone responsible, including Celestine. But of course, first, she had to escape. Coming up, Lenora is forced to improvise. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief? 
I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons, mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Lenora was furious with herself. She cared very little about Princess Celestine's wish to escape a mysterious nightmare groom. She just wanted to help a human gain some magic and go home. But things got tricky, like they always seemed to. Now the fairy stood outside powerful King Sever's palace with a shrunken princess hiding in the mouth of an old, stubborn donkey. Lenora's hand was gone, a ragged, bloody stump in its place thanks to the palace's sharp iron gate. It was only a matter of time before her disguise fell away and the guards would bind her with iron and make her grant their wishes on demand. She turned slowly, facing the lead guard in the guise of a wizened old man. She was no actor, but still she had to try. So she croaked out, How uh, may I help your lordship? The guard gruffly asked what she was doing. Lenora put on her best impression of wistfulness as she sighed, I'm just on my way back home to my, my beautiful wife, sir. Oh, how I love that beautiful wife of mine. The guard eyed her warily and asked to examine her cloak. Lenora complied, hoping she could blame her bleeding stump of a wrist on a farming accident or one of those diseases mortals always seem to be suffering from. Luckily, he just patted her down to make sure she didn't have any contraband and didn't examine the contents of her sleeve. Lenora thought she could go, but instead he called his other men to escort her and the donkey back to the castle. Lenora panicked. She could feel her face flicker between her real self and the man she was pretending to be. The last dregs of magic were leaving her. A muffled cry came from the donkey's mouth, and Lenora coughed to cover the sound of Celestine's voice, but the act took up too much energy. The wrinkles on her face melted to reveal her fey form. The leaves in her hair looked rotten and dry, and her skin was the dirty gray of standing water on a rainy morning. She was a monster, and a stinking one at that. The lead guard screamed and raised his sword. Lenora's mind reeled. She was out of her usual tricks. So she closed her eyes and muttered an old phrase, one buried deep in her mind from before she was expelled from sorcery training. It was a curse, but she couldn't remember exactly what it did. 
The guard's frame twisted, his bones melting and reforming. The sword dropped to the ground and his fellow men watched, frozen in awe and horror. Lenora used the distraction to take off running. The donkey dutifully bounded behind her. When she reached the servant's entrance to the palace, she glanced behind her to see what she'd done. The guard's human form was gone. Now he had a horse's head, a chicken's legs, a goat's torso, and the shimmering scales of a snake. The impossible creature was writhing, snapping, and screaming, in anger or perhaps in pain. Lenora turned away, unable to watch. She wasn't sure if the spell had gone wrong or if she'd simply managed to remember the most torturous curse of all. Either way, she was upset she'd had to cast it. She was fairly sure she was all out of magic now, and she had to admit it was a little terrible to see the man suffer. She heard the cold slice of a blade as his men turned on the tortured guard and decapitated the creature he'd become. The guard was put out of his misery, but Lenora wasn't. She was miserable and angry. She was done with Celestine. She wasn't her fairy godmother, plus she had none of the powers that the job required. She wanted out as soon as possible and she didn't care if she couldn't take the girl with her. But then Lenora reminded herself that while she was a monster, she wasn't a heartless monster. She would at least hide Celestine somewhere safe in the castle first. Then she could get out of there. Lenora ran up the stairs into the palace, pulling the braying donkey with her. Celestine screamed from inside its mouth. Lenora shushed her and the donkey, but it was little use. Now she was lost and drawing attention to herself. As she moved through the halls, Lenora noticed the decor around her grew increasingly expensive and majestic. It meant she was getting closer to the throne room. The king couldn't be far. This was a problem, of course, since the king was after the princess so he could marry her off. Lenora willed herself to be calm, and she ducked into a small storage room to catch her breath. She jumped a little when a deep voice echoed from down the hallway. There was such command to it, such cruelty, that it had to be the king. That's when Lenora heard King Sever say, Find Celestine! Find my bride! Lenora stopped cold, her mind spinning. Celestine was not just a child being pushed to marry and grow up too fast. Her father was forcing her to be his queen. Lenora's stomach roiled at the thought. She didn't like humans. They were good for a deal, but they were ignorant and ugly and cruel. But this girl, Celestine only wanted freedom. Of course she'd asked Lenora about flying. The girl deserved to fly for the rest of her days. For once, Lenora saw things with perfect clarity. She turned slowly, opened the donkey's mouth and said, Celestine, will you come out please? The girl shook her head. Lenora continued, Celestine, I'm not mad. In fact, I'm sorry, sorry that you felt you had to keep this from me, though I understand why you did, but I'm here now, and I'm going to make sure you're safe. 
Celestine was too young to take on this wicked man, but Lenora was 3,000 years old. She'd helped idiot princes steal their father's thrones. She'd toppled empires. She could conjure a punishment fit for King Sever, and his pain would be her pleasure. But Lenora's magics were spent, and she needed more power. There was only one way to do that. A journey she had never started, a path she had never dreamed she would pursue. Lenora rested the tip of her finger on Celestine's cheek. The girl gasped for air, and her face was red from crying. Lenora wished she could grow Celestine to her full height so she could hold her, but there was no time and no magic, not yet. So Lenora held her gaze, waited for her to be still, and asked, Celestine, will you have me as your fairy godmother? Celestine nodded. Lenora smiled. The deal was struck and it was time to make sure King Sever never hurt anyone again. Coming up, Lenora confronts the king with full enchanted fury. Now back to the story. Lenora had done what she never thought she would. She had agreed to be bound to a child, to care for a girl's welfare and tie her magic directly to her safety and happiness. She was now a fairy godmother. It was a role Lenora had told herself she would never take, but here she was, hiding in the castle cellar with Celestine shrunken inside a donkey's mouth, asking to be the girl's enchanted guardian, and Lenora was happy about it. She wasn't used to this strange feeling, but she would not let King Sever marry his own daughter. She would keep Celestine safe until it was all over. Then the real work would begin, the hard work of healing. Lenora promised Celestine that it would all be taken care of. The girl tried to protest, but Lenora quieted her. No, this was something that adults dealt with. This was a problem that children shouldn't have in the first place. Then Lenora closed the donkey's mouth and walked back into the castle hall. Power flowed through her in a way she'd never felt before. She'd expected the magic that came from Celestine to have its own form, some pink and gold sugary thing. But Lenora's own powers had grown instead. She felt the rush of autumn tides flow through her veins and the crackle of a fire in her chest. Though she had invested her feelings and hopes in Celestine, she did not lose herself. In fact, she was somehow even more herself. Lenora turned back to the room that held Celestine and the donkey. Then, with a flick of her hand, the door dripped away and was replaced by sea-washed stone. Celestine was safe for now. King Sever, on the other hand, was about to learn what happened to anyone who hurt her child. Like every insolent human Lenora had encountered, he felt that he could bend the world to his will. But mortals didn't have that power. Fairy godmothers did. 
the king didn't deserve Lenora's softened features, the glamours she'd put on to appear less frightening. He would see her as she was. The angles of her visage became harsher. Several sets of eyes sprouted from her face. Her skin crackled and shimmered with fire, and razor-sharp wings sprouted from her back, like sea glass covered in autumn frost. Lenora's wings beat at hurricane speed as she glided down the hall to the throne room door. She curled her finger ever so slightly, and the door flew off its hinges. King Sever looked up, his face crimson red with anger. He was a parody of his portrait. They'd gotten the sour expression right, but nothing else. There was nothing imposing about this man. He could have been a peasant or a cowherd. Though he was surrounded by liveried servants and wore a crown, the only hint that Lenora had the right man at all was that he shared Celestine's eyes. Lenora tilted her head, eyes glittering as her nails grew like gnarled branches, sharp as daggers. Then she reopened the wound on her arm and whispered a word too ancient and powerful for anyone but Faye to know. Orange blood gushed forth from her severed hand. The servants dove out of the way and the blood splattered onto the king's woven silk clothes. Lenora watched the servants cower in the corners. She would never hurt them, but she did relish their fear. It soaked into her veins, giving her more strength. King Sever stammered with some burst of outrage, but she silenced him with a wave of her hand. He had not earned the right to speak. He had said more than enough when he didn't know she was listening. Lenora's voice echoed off the throne room's stone walls. You have forgotten how little of the world is in your control. Allow me to remind you. I am your child's fairy godmother. Her wishes are her will, and her will must be carried out. The king went pale, and his mouth dropped open in an expression somewhere between rage and panic. Lenora scoffed at his theatrical display of horror and curled her finger again. Spider silk extended from her body, and the king became stuck to the stone walls. Lenora's precious loves, her blood-red spider army, climbed through the windows. Thousands of them skittered over to the king as Lenora practically purred. These are my children. They feast only on human flesh. The king screamed in agony as fangs tore into his skin, ripping away tiny pieces of flesh and swallowing them whole. He tried to move, but he was truly stuck. Lenora yawned. She was tired from the night's excitement, but she would not leave until her children had fed. The spiders wouldn't kill him right away. They'd eat his skin slowly, and he would remain half alive and tortured for hours, maybe longer if they paced themselves. And she hoped they paced themselves. 
Lenora reluctantly pulled herself away from this delightful scene to eye the king's royal advisor. She told him to draw up a document ordering Celestine's ascension to the throne. The shaking, brocade-clad man hardly protested. King Sever let out a cruel, labored laugh. I'll never sign. You'll have to kill me first. Lenora sighed, bored. She pulled her wand from her pocket and swirled it in the air. In an instant, a wound opened up on the king's thumb, and his signature was written out in his own blood. As the spiders made a meal of the king, Lenora returned to the door that she'd shrouded in stone. She pressed gently on a vein in the rock. It opened. She pulled the tiny Celestine from the mouth of the donkey and set her on the ground. Then with a flick of Lenora's crooked wand, the child grew to her regular size. But she looked lost. Lenora realized this part would be far more complicated than revenge. She held out her hands for Celestine to take if she liked. The princess hugged her instead, and this time Lenora let her. She said with kindness, this should never have happened to you. The king is gone now, and I'll be here as long as you want me. And Lenora was there. As Celestine ascended the throne, Lenora was by her side. There she stayed for years. She was there as the girl grew and found her own partner, had her own children, and entered her own golden age. Lenora gave the queen the best advice she could. She had centuries of experience to draw from after all. And when she and Celestine could not be persuasive with their diplomacy, well, they had Lenora's spiders to speed decisions along. There's much more to a fairy godmother than glittering magic and pumpkins turned into carriages. They serve a critical role in both the lives of fictional princes and princesses and that of real-life children. If fairy tales help kids deal with the complications of childhood by teaching them that they can face cruel injustice and conquer frightening foes, then fairy godmothers are the embodiment of that lesson. When the hero can't make it alone, these women arrive to give a helping hand. Folklore scholars suggest that they replicate the benevolent influence that good parents have in children's lives. But there's a complicated edge to the fairy's role. Because more often than not, before the hero can gain her help, they must suffer first. Fairy tales shape our youth, but they also contribute to the normalization of emotional and sexual abuse in Western stories. Childhood trauma is treated as a tragic inevitability, not a social ill that can be prevented through education and intervention by courageous adults or fairies. And so we have to ask, why did Cinderella's fairy godmother wait until she was a teen to save her from her cruel stepmother? And why, in the original donkey skin, did the godmother merely try to trick the king out of taking his desired bride instead of punishing him for abusing his daughter? Perhaps the answers reveal something about the fairy godmother that's hard to admit. That despite how we associate her with hope and happiness and magic, 
Her powers are only as effective as the society her tale was told in. Charles Perrault's seminal stories were written when abuse was tolerated more than it was today, and a rich prince's love was the height of achievement for a young woman. So, of course, that's where the fairy godmother gravitates. She swoops in after the princess has suffered and solves her problems with an advantageous marriage. In that way, they did the best they could within the confines of their charge's world. Luckily, today's storytellers are reimagining myths that keep the sparkles, but add a sorely needed sense of justice. It's so tempting to wish for a fairy godmother in our darkest hours, but let's hope that if she does appear, we get one who knows the difference between being kind and being helpful. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with the last episode of our season on Famous Fairies. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Riche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 